In Luke chapter 6, I got to give you a little, bit, a little bit of background because we've just actually been walking section through section through Luke in the early service. So uh, up at this point, we're going to start in verse 12. <clears throat> and what we're going to see today is just from 12 to 16 is these simple little, they're transitional verses actually, but this is the choosing of the 12, the choosing of the 12 disciples. The first 12 and 13 talks about Jesus' preparation for the choosing, and then uh, uh, 14, 15, 16 is their names, you know, Simon and James and, and all those. So it's going to be real simple, real simple reading for us today, real simple text for us today. But up to this point, Jesus is, uh, he's burst on the scene, and in, in the Gospel of Luke, he is uh, bringing the kingdom of God with him. And you can see that if you go all the way back, we've talked about this before, the, the creation fell into sin and darkness, Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden, and you know the story. And since that day, there's been, there's been death and, and evil and sickness and pain and suffering and, and all of those things in the creation. Well, Jesus comes along, born of a virgin, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, second person of the Trinity. He is born in flesh, and He comes bringing the kingdom of God. He has the authority over sickness. We saw that in Luke where he healed Peter's mother-in-law of the fever. He cast it out with a word. He has authority over evil spirits. See, we saw him uh, in the Gospel of Luke. We saw him just cast them out with a single word. He says, go and they obey. We saw him have authority over the physical world as before this text when he called Peter to himself, he, he commanded by his word and his word alone, he commanded a bunch of fish to swim in Peter's net. Remember when he said, cast out into the deep and put your nets over? And they said, we been fishing all night and they caught all these fish he has presented his authority as the son of man as as the son of god and as as god himself uh, over and over again in the gospel of luke well right before this text he presented his authority over the sabbath we talked a little bit about that in the early service uh, last week and this really infuriated the religious leaders it infuriated them. Basically what was going on, the disciples were walking through the, the cornfield and they were rubbing the corn, the grain, the kernels in their hand and they were eating and the Pharisees said, why are your disciples doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus, after a, a big thing, basically says, the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. And so they said, whoa. I mean, nobody can claim to have authority over the divine command itself. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm God. And so up until this point, he's been presenting his authority. And when he presented his authority over the Sabbath, that was it. Uh, it says in the last, in the last verses of uh, uh, verse 11, right before our text, it says, And they were filled with madness, and they communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. That was the last straw. Uh, and so they said, look, from now on, we're not investigating. They had been coming along in the Gospel of Luke, and they'd been coming and listening, saying, you know, we don't think about that. We don't like that. We're objecting to this. This is the last straw. They said, from now on, they're just after him. They want him gone. They want him dead. They were filled with madness, filled with rage that he would blaspheme the Sabbath, or what they thought was blaspheming the Sabbath, and they, they'd had enough. Well, it's in this that Jesus goes off into solitude and prays all night long to his Father and chooses these 12 men. And it's not readily apparent what we're going to see, but I want to show you that the same principles that, that characterize the choosing of this 12 are the principles that characterize the church and the Christian life that you and I live. 
um, to just kind of throw it out there so you can know where we're going. These 12 men, and your life as well, it's born out of opposition. There's all this opposition going on, and Jesus chooses them in the face of all this opposition. Uh, the second thing that I saw in the text was he, it's, born out of, it's born out of communion with God. Jesus doesn't just walk up and say, hey, I like your, I like your shirt. I'm going to pick you. You know, he goes off into solitude and prayer with his father. And the third thing was it, it was he's dependent upon God. He's dependent upon his father. And I want to show you how all three of those things apply to your life today. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So I want you to see the first thing. These men are going to be the foundation of his new people. It's, they're born out of opposition. Uh, there was opposition. We just talked about them being in madness, that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Up until this point, they... They objected. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they objected to everything that Jesus did up until this point. He, he ate with Levi, which was a tax collector, and they said, why are you... They objected to him eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call the sinner. They objected when, when his disciples didn't fast in the same way that, that their disciples fast. We saw that the last time we got to be together when I got to preach to you in the 1030 service two weeks ago. Uh, and they objected to that. They objected when they, he, they let the man down through the roof and Jesus said something crazy. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Uh, they objected. Who is this that thinks they can forgive sin? He can't forgive sins. They objected to everything about Jesus. And this was the last straw when he said that he was Lord over the Sabbath. And so now the opposition is coming. They had had enough. Jesus's road to the cross is pretty much set in motion at this point. Of course, we know he was, he was sent by God and it was going to happen either way, but this was now the time where they were going to start coming against him. They weren't just going to come and start investigating. Well, let's see. Let's ask him about this. Let's ask him about that. From now on, they're going to be trying to trap him. They're going to be trying to, they're going to, be trying to corner him in something that he says. They're going to be sending the Romans and they're going to be trying to accuse him. They're going to inevitably lead him to the cross and they're going to think they win the victory by bringing him to the cross and of course we know that victory is ours today because it was God's will to send his son to the cross it wasn't theirs but in the midst of this opposition Jesus realizes that now it's time it's time for me to appoint these 12 these 12 men these 12 apostles it's time for me to appoint these you, you got to understand these this is a monumental event that's happening. We know the story, and so we read through it, and it's easy to just pass right through. But this is a monumental event. This is, this is huge what is happening here because Jesus, these 12 men, these are going to be the men. The, with the exception of Judas, he's going to get replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1. But these are going to be the men that carry on the message. These are going to be the men that carry on his name and carry on his authority. They're going to do the works in his name and his, in his authority after he ascends to heaven. They're going to, be, they're going to have the message. They're going to be inspired by God, the God is under the inspiration of God, to actually write the eternal word of God that you've got sitting in your lap today. This is huge. This decision to pick these men is absolutely, uh, it's absolutely a huge decision. Their names are going to be written on the foundation stones of the new city for all eternity. And so this is not a little thing that's about to happen. Jesus is going to, he's bringing forth these 12 men. You might ask, why 12? Why not 40? Why not 
Why not 144? Why, why is it 12? Everyone in the first century, every Jewish person that was listening to Christ would have known what it meant to pick these 12 Jewish men. Israel was founded on the 12 sons of Jacob. And so Jesus was remaking, reforming, reestablishing the people of God. He, these men would be the foundation of everything that would come after. And today, you're still reading the testimony of Christ through these men as they, by God's inspiration, have penned down the Word of God. This, would, this was, if you were Christ and you were uh, facing this decision, you were about to make this decision, this would have been a, I don't know, an earth-shaking, pivotal, this would have been a cornerstone decision to make. And so it was born out of all of this opposition, all of this, it's time now. With all of this opposition against us, it's time to go ahead and choose these men and to be uh, investing in these men. They're going to carry the gospel. They're going to carry all those things. The reality that you and I need to understand today is that there's always opposition. There's always opposition against the church. There's always opposition against the name of Christ. There's always opposition against you if you are a follower of Christ. If you've been born again and you name the name of Christ, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have opposition from the time your feet hit the floor in the morning to the time that you lay your head down at night and really until you go to sleep because your own flesh is going to oppose you as you're laying there staring up at the ceiling if you're like me and can't go to sleep real quick. And so you need to understand that this is not a new thing. The church was born in opposition. It was born among people who wanted it eradicated. All of Jesus' ministry, you can read it through the Gospels, it's going to be one person, one group opposing him after the next. They're always going to be after him, always going to be after his ministry, after his person, trying to get rid of him. The church grew through the book of Acts in opposition. There were men and groups that followed the Apostle Paul from city to city, starting riots and and raising up uh, crowds against him to get him silenced, to get him thrown in jail, to get him executed. It's always going to be opposition to the church. You and I should not be surprised about that. Wednesday night we talked about witnessing. We talked about uh, being a witness for Christ. And we, we said, you know, the reality is you're called to be obedient. You're not called to go out and be successful in what you think is successful. So if you go out and you witness to 12 people and they all tell you they don't want no part of it and you're an idiot for believing that thing, you, can, you don't have to have your head down and go out thinking, well, I'm just not doing this right. You go out thinking, I've glorified God today because the gospel is the power of God. And so you need to understand as you go about your work for Christ, as you go about your life in living for Christ, there's always going to be opposition. Just go ahead and expect it. Just go ahead and get ready for it. Jesus said, they hated me, and if you come in my name, they're going to hate you. There's always going to be opposition to the church. Always, always, always. It goes back to the beginning. I mean, Genesis, where the fall happened. God himself, when he cursed Adam and Eve and the serpent, he said in Genesis 3.15, he said to the serpent, I am going to put enmity. That's enmity means hatred. I'm going to put hatred between this you and the seed of the woman. He's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. He said from the very beginning, I'm going to put enmity between your people and my people. I'm going to put enmity between the ones who live for you and the ones who live for me. I'm going to put hatred in their heart for you. So don't be shocked 
Don't be shocked when the church is facing opposition. We're just Christ Church in Brownsville is facing opposition. Don't be shocked when you in your own life are facing opposition. It's coming. That's what, that's what you're here for. So the question really we need to ask rather than what do we do is are you facing any opposition? Are you pretty comfortable in the world? I mean, when you go out, when you leave these walls, when you leave these, these, these uh, when you go through those doors and go back out to the world, are you comfortable listening to the same things the world listens to? Are you comfortable living the same way they live? Are you comfortable at work? Do they, do they even know that you, uh, that you claim to be a follower of Christ? If you're comfortable in the world, if the world looks at you and said, hey, that's my bud right there. Me and them, we're, we're like this. We get along. Something's wrong. Something's bad wrong. I remember as Brother Tim said, I don't have enough enemies. I don't have enough enemies. We, we need to understand, if you're comfortable in the world, if you're comfortable looking at the things the world looks at, listening to the things of the world, drinking the world's entertainment down like water, drinking the world's uh, values and morals and worldview, you're, you're comfortable living in that. You've got to ask yourself some hard questions. Because Christ, His disciples, and the church at large has always been opposed by the people of the world the people of of God they're not really they're not our enemies they're our mission field we go out and we we try to make disciples of all those nations but you and I need to understand that Christ was clear they're not going to be on your side they're not going to be on your team and it doesn't have to be you out there standing on a soapbox I'm talking about and a lot of you have experienced this I'm talking about when you go out and really all you're doing is trying to live for Christ The people that you run into, they're going to hate you for trying to live for Christ. Why? Because it shows them their need. It shows them their sin. Even if you're not pointing it out, saying, oh, that's it. Just by you attempting to live your life for Christ and His glory and His honor, that is going to shine a mirror in front of other people's people's, uh, lives. And it's either going to have one or two, uh, it's either going to have one or two results. It's either going to make them say, what is it with you? Can you share something? Or they're going to say, I hate that guy. I wish that guy would go away. I don't want it's either going to have one of two things. They're either going to understand that their need for a Savior, or they're just going to hate your guts. They're going to get angry. Who that person? Th- holier than now, thinking you're too good to hang out with me. You're too good. To- I know. Are y'all smiling? Y'all done heard that once or twice, I'm sure. One of those two things is going to happen. But you and I need to understand, Jesus goes in to choose these 12 disciples, uh, 12 apostles right here. Uh, I just realized I hadn't even read the text. I better get to it. Uh, He's going to choose these men in the face of opposition. That's never going to go away. It's going to be a reality through his entire ministry. When he ascends to heaven, it's going to be a reality through the entire apostles' ministry. It's going to be a reality through the entire church that we see in Acts. And it's going to be a reality from now until the day that the new heavens and the new earth are established. There will always be opposition. And so Jesus' choosing of the twelve was born out of this opposition. A decision needs to be made. These men are about to be chosen. In verse 12 it says... And it came to pass in those days. That's why I say it was born out of opposition. Because you ask, in what days? And we have to go back and look at all the opposition that came before. In those days, and it came to pass in those days, that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. Look at this, notice this. And of them 
he chose 12. Lots of people following after him. Lots of people that he called out of all of the disciples that were following around him, he chose 12. And it says, whom he named, also he named apostles. And then 14, 15, 16 is their names. We're going to get to that in, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But understand that this decision wasn't made. This was Jesus now. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is God and man. But this decision wasn't made flippantly. This wasn't made like, okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take you. No, before he went to choose these 12 apostles, he spent the entire night in prayer with the Father. He spent all night understanding that what he was about to do, what he, the choice he was about to make, the men he was about to select out from these disciples as the apostles. This is going to reverberate throughout eternity. These men's names will, will always be known. When you, I heard one guy say, when you step into the gate, when you step into the gate of the new city, you're going to be stepping over the name of an apostle because they're written on the, on the foundation stones. You can read that in Revelation chapter 21. So their names, their ministry, their message, their, their, um, their ministry of Christ, of the gospel, is going to be of paramount importance for the church. And so this wasn't just a, a flippant little thing. He is seeking the Father's will. He's, he's submitting himself to the Father to choose these men. If you look in John chapter 17, uh, I think it's verse 6, he tells these 12 disciples, when he's, these 12 apostles, when he's praying for them, he says to them, he says, Father, I, I tell this to you, you gave me these men out of the world. So it's the Father who chose them. It was the Father who selected them as to be the apostles. This was not an easy decision to make. This was not a flippant thing. He spent all night. Now, the first question that's coming to your mind, I can tell on some of your faces, is wait a minute. I mean, Jesus is God. Jesus is God in human flesh. Why is he, why is he praying over these, why don't he just pick them? I mean, he's God. Isn't he, isn't he the second person of the Trinity? Isn't he, isn't he God in human flesh? I mean, what does he have to worry about? What does, he have to, what does he have to be spending all night in prayer for? You and I need to understand that Jesus is God. But Jesus is also man. And as man, he came in flesh to be perfectly obedient and submissive to the Father's will. It's the same thing you see in the garden before he goes to the cross. He said, Father, if there's any way, you let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so he is perfectly obedient, perfectly submissive to the Father. He is doing the Father's will. And so he communes with the Father to choose these 12 disciples. How would it be? Let me ask you a question. If Jesus, the eternal Son of God, very God of very God, the one who spoke things into existence. If he took on flesh and felt the need to come to his Father all night long in prayer, seeking his will, being submissive and obedient to him, why don't we who are sinners by nature and don't have anything good in us at all other than what Christ has given us and the Holy Spirit in us, why is it that, why is it that we want to be independent? You might, you might say, you know, I'm not independent at all. Well, we don't want to think we're independent, but our life proves whether we are or not. And independence, if you look, independence is 
pretty much you can tie that to the root of, of most every sin is independence from God, wanting my own way, wanting to do it my way, and nothing else matters. Even in Isaiah 53, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone what? His own way. That's right. We want to go our own way. We want, we want to be independent. We want to do what we want to do. And that's the fundamental, I mean, that is the worldview of the world. That is those that are outside of God. They don't, they don't want to follow God's will. They don't want to submit to His way. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to do anything that even remotely looks like submitting to someone else or following someone else's will. But that is not what Christ did. He went to His Father and He prayed. Not only did He pray, but He prayed. Now, you've got to look at this. All night long. I mean, we, we read over that, and that's just like, a, well, of course, you know, Jesus prayed all night long. It's no big deal. But that means at 11 o'clock, he was praying. And then an hour later, at 12 o'clock, he was still praying. And then at 1, he was still praying. And then at 2, I don't know about y'all, that's hard. That's work. That's, that's big-time work. Most of y'all know, with me, we all know together that you pray 15, 20 minutes, that's hard work. I mean, it's hard to keep yourself focused, hard to keep yourself from drifting off, hard to keep your flesh from throwing thoughts in your mind. It's hard to do those things. Jesus, Jesus continued all night in prayer knowing that this was the moment. This was a very important, if not the most important thing that he was going to have happen in his ministry before he had to go to the cross, which was the most important thing. But this was, this was a huge event. These 12 men are going to be... They're going, to be, they're going to be supremely important. And he went to his father in prayer. But it's more than that. Let me tell you the other side. This is the third time. This is a lifestyle for Jesus. This is the third time in Luke that we see, in verse chapter 4 and in chapter 5, it says that Jesus went off by himself to pray. So this is the third time that Jesus has gone off in solitude to pray. Understand... Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. He is God himself. That means, let me explain this. I've probably told you all this before, and some of you all have heard this before, but you, you need to understand that before there was anything, before there was trees and air and, and space, there was no space. There was no vacuum in space. There was nothing. There was no cosmic dust. There was no stars. There was n nothing. Before there was creation, there was absolutely nothing. God the Father existed as a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they existed in perfect love relationship with each other. That is why we can say that God is love. Before there was ever a creation for Him to love, He existed in perfect love relationship with each member of the Trinity. So the Son existed for all time in perfect relationship with the Father, with the Spirit, and the Son chose to make Himself of no reputation, take on flesh, be born of a virgin, come to this earth. What do you think is on his mind who spent eternity in a love relationship with the Father and the Spirit? To come into communion with the Father. To come back and, and enjoy this communion that he had, this relationship that he had with God. Jesus came and took on flesh to bring us into that relationship. He came, left the glories of heaven, came down, died on the cross so that yours and my sin could be paid for and then his righteousness given to us, he brings us with him. That's why the New Testament calls us in Christ. 
brings us with him back into the relationship with the Father. And when the Father looks at me and looks at you being born again, he sees the perfection of his Son. Therefore, he loves me like he loves the Son. And he sees me as righteous as he sees his Son. Not because I am, but because I am in Christ. And so Jesus left the splendors of heaven to bring me back into this relationship. And here I am today, instead of longing for communion with God, longing to seek Him in prayer, longing to be with Him. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. I've got too much stuff going on. You know all the things I have to do in a day? I don't have time to spend time in prayer. I mean, I, I throw up a prayer like everybody else does during the day. We all do it. I mean, it's good. And you need to do that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But to actually block out a time on my schedule, when I'm not, and I'm not making a law where there ain't no law. I'm not saying it's got to be five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes. I'm not, I'm not. But we should have a time sometime blocked out of your day. Each day. However long the Lord leads it on your heart. This is my time. This is my time with the Lord. Uh, you, it, it doesn't even make sense that our sinful hearts, and I'm not wagging the finger at you, I'm talking about our sinful hearts. It doesn't make sense that our sinful hearts have been brought back into perfect relationship with the Father by the Son, and we have no desire to, to be in relationship with Him. We have no desire to seek Him. We have no desire to fellowship with Him, to hear from Him, to speak to Him. No desire whatsoever. Oh, you let something bad happen. Oh, we got all the desire then, don't we? But when everything's rocking right along, there's no desire just to be with Him. So this was not a, a question of Jesus has got a really hard decision to make now, so He's coming into the presence of the Father. Yes, that, that is true. But this was His lifestyle. He stole away and got into solitude many times out in, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness, out in the woods, out up on the mountain and prayed and spent time in prayer. You say, I can't pray for that long. Pray for as long as you can. You block it out. Now, what I tell you, this is just practical just for y'all, just side note here. I have to have my time set. 15 minutes. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I'm going to, this long. If you just say, I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to pray as long as I can, you'll be thinking about groceries in seven minutes, I promise. So you got to set you, and it's not about, it's not about you better do this, guys, or you're not real spiritual, whatever. It's about what's your priority. I mean, why are you here if you're not here to commune with the God who saved you and brought you into relationship? What do you think you're going to be doing for eternity? I mean, you're going you're gonna to be... I mean, you're going to be in fellowship with God. You're going to be face-to-face -face with Christ. But today, we've got time for, got time for Facebook. We've got time for games on our phone. i got some games on my phone, too, so I'm not saying it's just y'all going to hell for having games on your phone. i got some. We've got time for TV. We've got time for hobbies. We've got time for fishing. And I mean, you, will, you won't say, you know what? I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and if I happen to fall into a fishing hole, I'm going to go fishing for a little while. No, you block out time. I'm going to get myself ready. I'm going to put the stuff in the boat. I'm going to drive down to the deal. You block out time for everything that you love, that you enjoy. But we don't block out time for God. We don't block out time and say, this is your time. 
This is your time, me with you. And I'm not saying how long it's supposed to be. That's between you and the Lord. But understand, Jesus chose these men. He, they, this choice was born out of communion with God. All night long he set up. And I, I don't know what he was praying, but I can imagine he was presenting each of these men. Well, what about this guy? You know, you, you sure you want me to pick this guy? Uh, what about this guy? You know, what about this guy? Maybe he was praying for their ministries. He, he knew what the things that were going to come in their life and, and the things they would have to face uh, for following him and being. Who knows? I, I don't know what he was praying. But all night long, he was praying about this choice he was about to make. So what we've seen so far, last two things, last thing and we'll go. But this choice of these 12 men, these 12 apostles, it was born out of opposition that will always be faced by the church. It was born out of a communion with God, a seeking after His will, a submission to His will. What do you want me to do? And it was also born out of a dependence on the power of God. Let's look at these last things and we'll go. It says, verse, uh, verse 15, or 14. I'm just reading the names. He chose, out of the disciples, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles, and here they are. Simon, whom he also named Peter, we know him, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, in the other list, Bartholomew had two names. His name was also Nathaniel, so that's Nathaniel. Uh, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simus called Zelotes, which is Zealot. He was part of the Zealot party. Judas, the brother of James, his name was also Thaddeus. So in the other list, he'll be called Thaddeus. And Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Now, remember, these men, these are the twelve. Of course, we know what's going to happen with Judas. He's going to betray Christ, and it, Jesus knew from the beginning that he was a devil, uh, and he's going to be replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1. But... These men, these 12 men, these are the men that are going to bear the message. These are the apostles of Christ. They're going to, they're going to uh, under the inspiration of God, they're going to write the eternal word of God in the, in the New Testament that we have, that we still study today as God's word for all people, all time. They are, they are going, to, they're going to have their names written on the foundation stones. I told you that. They are going to, their names are going to reverberate throughout eternity. You would think, who are these mighty men? Who are they? They must have some credentials, Jack. If you were picking a team, if you were picking a team, this must be, this must be the list of the most godly, the most spiritual, the strongest, the most intelligent. I mean, if you're picking a football team, you're not going to pick the sewing circle. You know what I'm saying? You, this must be. I want to look at these guys' resumes. This must be the ones who surpass all the rest. I can tell you, if you were picking men that were going to be your messenger, the messengers of God fighting for the kingdom, nobody on this list would be on your list. You would never pick any of these guys at all. They have no credentials whatsoever. You got four of them are fishermen. Of course, we know them. You got one of them is a tax collector, Levi, Matthew. I mean, he was hated by all the Jews. Nobody's going to listen to him. He's hated. They hate him. One was a zealot, which was basically they were the first century terrorists. They wanted out of Rome's control, and they were willing to do anything that you had to do to get away from Rome and to get Rome out of their country. And so they put him next to the tax collector that worked for Rome, which, you know, I can imagine them fighting all the time. Who knows? Then you got Judas Iscariot, the guy who's going to betray you. I mean, there's not a scholar in the bunch. 
There's not an educated man in the bunch. There's not a powerful man in the bunch. They don't have the credentials to be chosen to be your men. And let's just be honest. As we, we get ready to go here, let's just be honest. Throughout the Gospels, I mean, they just they seem kind of dumb, the disciples. Y'all know it's true. Don't be judging me. You know it's true. They kind of dumb. They kind of dumb. All right? They, they never understand what Jesus is talking about. Almost every time, they, they always get it wrong. They have really a lack of faith that shows up over and over again. Jesus, I mean, a couple times, Jesus is like, man, how long do I got to be with you? I mean, they don't really show any acumen for being spiritual or godly or powerful or, or anything. You got, you got, I mean, James and John, James and John sent their mama to Jesus to ask which one could sit on the left. I mean, don't send your mom to me, okay? I mean, how big of a baby do you have to be? And then, of course, you know, Peter... Peter, this loudmouth guy who never knows when to shut up, saying all the wrong things, ended up denying. These are not the men you would have chosen. Why did God pick them? Because God always chooses the weak things to confound the strong. He always chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. He knows them. He knows them. He knew from the very beginning that Judas was a traitor. He knew from the very beginning that Peter was going to deny him, that Peter didn't know what he was talking about half the time. He knew from the very beginning these men, and he chose them because he will get glory. Because 50 days after the ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit will descend on these men and transform them into powerful servants of God, willing to stand for truth, willing to stand for the gospel in the face of anybody who would want to come and try to deny them anything. Peter, who denied Christ three times in front of nobody, slave girl, door greeter at the, at the place where the trial was, denied him in front of nobodies. After the Holy Spirit came in with him in power, he stood in front of the Sanhedrin, the ruling class of Jerusalem, and said, I don't care what you say. I'm going to preach about what we've seen and we've heard. If it's right to follow God or follow you, you decide. But all we're going to do is keep preaching Jesus. He was transformed. God knows you. He knows all your weaknesses. He knows all your failings. He knows all the things that you're not good at. He knows your resume. He knows your credentials. And He chose you to be a witness for Him. He chose you to be His ambassador. The New, New Testament tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. You are to go out and make disciples. It's not just Brother Eddie's job. It's not just your Sunday school teacher's job. It's not just a special class of Christian's job. It's your job. You are a disciple maker if you are a Christian. I don't care if you say, I can't talk right, I can't talk good, I don't know the answers, I don't know all those things. So what? He knows you. He knows all your, he knows all your failings, all your faults, all the things that you're not good at. And still, he says to you, go and make disciples of all the nations. Are you doing that? Do you invite anybody to church this week? Nobody? about last week week before 
on the front of your bulletin is a stat. It's a real study. I didn't just make that up. 2%. 2% of church members actually invite, have ever invited someone to church. Ever. You and I, we're no good. We're no good. I'm the same boat you are. You Ask me after service if I invited somebody to church this week. I did because I was making the bulletin and I knew what I was going to say. On <laughs> I'm in the same boat you are. At some point, we're going to have to stop. At some point, we're going to have to turn it around. Jesus' choosing of these 12 was born out of opposition. That's always going to be there. It was born out of communion with God, which we have to have. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a point of, do we need to go on and block some time? We have to have it. You cannot grow spiritually without it. You cannot. You be like everyone else. You're just neutral, is always going backward, and then you'll wake up one day and say, what happened to me? You have to have fellowship with God. You have to have fellowship with God's people. That includes other times than just Sunday morning. You have to have fellowship. And it was born out of a dependence on God's power. Nobody in this list is greater than you. Nobody in this list is smarter than you. They're just, they were all, all of them except Judas Iscariot were from Galilee. The Jerusalem elite would have thought they were backwater redneck hicks from Galilee. Nobody in this list is better than you. But they are dependent upon the power of God changed by him. And you and I have that same power at our disposal. So the question today is really, who do you depend on? What do you live for? You've been called by Christ to make disciples if you've been born again. If you're lost in here, you're, call, you're being called to come to Christ, to be one of those who go forth making disciples. You've called to come, been called to come to salvation. What is it that you live for? What's the purpose of your life? If it's not Christ, I'm not saying you're a bank robber or axe murderer or Satan worshiper or something like that, but if you just live for yourself, to do good, you know, take care of my family, hang out, have fun every once in a while, go to work, and your life is not purposed in Christ, then you need to ask yourself hard questions about whether I'm a follower of Christ or not. The disciples from which these 12 apostles were were chosen, all of them, if we go back and you look at our study in Luke, if you go back and look, all of them left all and followed Jesus. They gave up the purpose of their life. Some of them still could go back to fishing. Peter still had a house. He still has, so I'm not saying sell your house and all that stuff and follow Jesus. Peter still had his house. I'm just saying they left the purpose of their life and they took on a new purpose and that was to follow Jesus. Have you done that today? If you're unsure, you need to be sure and you need to be sure in a hurry because time's running out. Come to Christ today. Trust in Him. Depend upon Him. That's what He's there for. That's what He wants from you. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that, um, thank you, that you still speak. Thank you that you use the 
this dumb old donkeys, Father. I, God, I just ask that you would be with your church, that you would be with your people as we go and we just try to win the lost. We try to bring people into the fellowship, God. We, we go and we bring the gospel to bear. That's what we're called to do. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come right now. And if there's anyone in here that don't know you, anyone that, that needs to trust in you, Father, so many people, so many people have, are just playing games across the nation in churches today. They're still sitting in pews and just playing games, playing, knowing they don't live for you, knowing they don't, they don't trust in you as far as to give their life to you, have have no evidence in their life that they desire your company at 